Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our Monday evening gathering, our gathering of this community, the Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community. And as I was slowing down and reflecting on what I wanted to share with you this evening, kind of the first thing that struck me was simply feeling grateful for this path and the practices that are on this path. Uh, I have found them so powerful for my life and really opening up a, a different way of, of being in the world. And that's the first thing I want to point out is, is this is what we're here to explore is this path that has this potential to free our hearts and minds from, you can say, uh, ignorant reactivity or unskillful ways of being in the world. And to explore and to try out and to see if, if these resonate for you or not. And one of the things I wanted to begin with was just by pointing out that a number of the practices that are discovered on this path are about uh, learning the skill of perceiving our experience in particular ways. And then when I perceive experience in a particular way, it allows the heart to be transformed and it allows me to walk in the world and to be in the world in a different way. For example, many of you might know these practices called the Brahma-viharas, which are these qualities of heart, uh, the quality of heart of, of kindness and compassion, cultivating these ways of perceiving, appreciative joy and equanimity. And one way to understand it in terms of perception is, like with the practice of loving kindness, I'm taking on this practice of of seeing if I can open to receive the goodness of others. So I'm perceiving the goodness of others. And then when I perceive the goodness of others, often what naturally arises is kindness, right? a, a well-wishing. When I train the heart in this way to be open and soft and receptive in this manner, or when I perceive the suffering of others or my own suffering, to, to engage in that in a particular way that, that cultivates a heart that cares, allowing my heart to care for that suffering in a way that it's not overwhelmed, and also the ability to act if, if needed. I'm, I'm changing, I'm turning how the heart and the mind are perceiving. And I, I feel, just as I was reflecting what I'd want to share with you the, this evening, is to broaden how we train our hearts and minds to perceive and to make sure it's related to, you could say, the current sufferings of this modern world, the angsts of this modern world. You know, when I slow down and I imagine, let's pretend that the Buddha was here right now. Of course, I would allow him to speak right now instead of me, but I could imagine that what I'm gonna share with you tonight, he would be sharing similar ways of perceiving uh, uh, because of this vision that he has for freedom. And the reason why per perception is so, such a huge fact, uh, huge um, skill that we're learning on this path is because it, it is a, a significant factor of how I understand the world and then how I act in the world. So for example, let me just give one example. If a person perceives, let's say, forested land, 
or wild salmon or the shrimp and crabs in the sea simply in terms of economic value and in particular as commodities for human consumption rather than the perception of seeing such beings as living beings who have intrinsic value in and of themselves that perception right, it can easily lead to harm and i want to point out uh, what i noticed is i find myself embedded in systems where there's this kind of perception there's economic systems where that is the perception that is required to engage in those systems political systems in the same manner perceiving a world that's for the use of human beings and of course my mind's been shaped by that like for those of you around flagstaff you go into the forest and you know that sign uh, you know the land of many uses the many uses is really about human uses my mind's been shaped by that and then as a result harm harm happens I'd say a lot of the environmental catastrophe right now is is intertwined with this entangled with these dynamics and yet uh, I, I just want to give one small example of what it is to change perception some of you might know the Nisqually uh, tribe in Washington and they perceive wild salmon differently for them wild salmon it, it's a gift from the salmon king that there are these amazing beings, the, the salmon, that inhabit this earth with us, not for us, with us. And then you, you, we can see the, the, the Squally tribe, uh, the value that they have on protecting or attempting to protect uh, habitat and engaging in habitat restoration and other conservation practices. And a few years ago, I remember they decided oh, we're not going to be fishing because the population of the salmon is too low. Oh, we're in a reciprocal relationship with these beings. So it's not the sentiment, oh, free fish. <laughs> Rather, it's relationship. It's a relational thing. It's not a commodity. So do you hear just a simple way of a different way of perceiving can can lead to a different way of being in the world, a different way of acting in the world. And when I share this, I, I'm not trying to propose that there's one particular way we need to perceive the world in order to move forward into a quality of flourishing, but to have multiple ways that lead in that direction. So I'm not confining it in some manner. And I also want to point out just, I, I, obviously, I think everyone knows this, but I want to be clear about it. When I am sharing with you this different way of perceiving, I do feel like in my heart of hearts that it helps with things like the environmental ca ca catastrophe. 
But I'm not saying it's the solution, as if there's one solution that has one facet. So please remember, when I share things with you, I'm just pointing out particular facets that hopefully intertwine and interweave with many, many different ones. I don't want to totalize just one perception or, or one approach. So hopefully you can hear, right, the Nisqually tribe perceiving this way, perceiving other beings in this reverential way. Oh, it changes the heart, and then I can be in the world in a different way. So much of this path and practice, this is what I get excited about, is this potential. So there's one uh, classical way of perceiving experience that you find in early Buddhism, and then it unfolds in particular ways and later on in Buddhism which is this perception of what's called not self. And I wanna just explain this in a, in a kind of concrete way because it's gonna tie into this, uh, this practice of changing our perception. The, the meditation teacher, Philip Moffat, frames it in a really wonderful way. He says, um, the, the kind of dynamic that we want to undermine with this perception of not self is this dynamic that you might find in your mind, that I find in my mind often, is that my mind likes to see myself as the star of the movie or the show. So an experience happens, and then the way I approach it is I'm perceiving of, of it, do I like it or not like it? Is it good for me or is it bad for me? How does this impact me? What does it say about me? How is this about me? <laughs> you ever notice this about your mind? <laughs> It's this perception, oh, being the main character in the show, the star of the show. And I, I want to be clear that there's, there's nothing wrong with thinking about oneself and taking care of oneself. The problem is, is when it's, it, it ends up being that narrow and that's the only way I can perceive. It's not helpful for me and it's definitely not helpful for the people around me. So this perception of not self undermining what it is, it's perceiving in a way that undermines me needing to be the star of the show, the main character and broadening. I'm, I'm at a being amongst other beings on this earth, not beings in the service of me, but amongst them. And obviously, you hear what I'm pointing to, probably. We do this with our particular species. Have you noticed this? What's the species that's the star of the show? Human beings. This is so often how human beings are portrayed again and again and again. They're the main character. Movies. Look at the news. Even when there's newsworthy things about the environment, it's often about how it impacts human beings. It's all centered around humanness. And yes, there's exceptions. There's exceptions of people trying to expand out from this centering the human species. But it's so harmful, right, to start to have the sense that we're at the center of the movie, at the show, the main character. 
It's narrow and harm happens. And I know my mind is shaped by this. And, and maybe you can relate to this. We, we come by it honestly, don't we? <laughs> These dominant narratives in dominant society, dominant, the key word here. Right? You, know, you remember that story about um, those two people? What was the first one was Adam and then Eve. Right there, there's a dynamic that maybe will be the next talk. <laughs> And it's so interesting the, the earth gets created with all these, these living beings and then they're plopped onto the earth. Okay, they're made out of clay, but then they're plopped onto, uh, onto the earth. They, they don't arise together with all those other beings. They're perceived as separate and very special. And in some understandings of this story, this narrative of Adam and Eve, Eve the earth is for their use. And yes, I want to acknowledge there can be other ways of understanding the story, but this can definitely be the dominant narrative and how we perceive the world. The world is for human use because we're so special, because we're the main character, we're the stars. A perception of not self is trying to undermine this. You could say any perception that shakes this not because we shouldn't care about ourselves and care for each other, but to expand it in some way. And I, I want to point out, we arise out of this earth and this world. This whole body is shaped by the earth in relationship to it. How the eyes see, how they're positioned on our head. These eyes, they co-arose with things like flowers. And the activity of these, these eyes seeing things like flowers and insects and grasses and mammals over millions of years shaped how we see. These eyes are a co-arising of this earth. But the ears here, they're positioned in a particular way, so they hear sounds in a particular way. And they've been shaped out of relationship, the relationship with things like the sound of the wind and the sound of streams and rivers and oceans, the sound of a growl or a bird song. And the skin, right? it arises out of a relationship with the cool breeze that maybe you've been feeling here in Flagstaff or a hot and humid day or the spray of salt water from the ocean or the touch of another mammal, or that spine of a cactus. Or just the activity of walking. Have you ever noticed walking? It's so amazing. And that whole process of knowing how to walk, that's been, it's, it's so finely attuned and adjusted to the varying steepness of all the mountains that, that this being has encountered over those millions of years of coming to shape this particular being right now. So all of this, the body and its abilities, it arises out of a relationship with the earth over millions of years. This is a different sense. 
And I think this story of Adam and Eve can hide that, can make that invisible. And I do want to acknowledge, you know, there are so many creation stories, for example, indigenous creation stories from this continent, where there's an acknowledging of that kind of co-arising of this human body. Stories that lend themselves to a different way of perceiving our place in the unfolding of this world, not the world for our use, but rather being beings amongst other beings. And you hear it in these stories, like in the Salanan tribe of, of California, you know, human beings arose out of another animal, bald eagle created human beings, or the Ohlone, right? The coyote created humans with the help of bald eagle, or the Miwok people. Coyote creating humans from the feathers of a turkey vulture, a raven, and a crow. These are very different stories of what it is to be a human being arising from other animals, other animals that are, are creating us, or stories, you know, from the ancestral Puebloans or Hopi or Navajo, where sometimes uh, humans are entering the world out of a, a, a sipapu. And Karen, thank you so much for sharing around this when you shared with us last year. Right, that opening in the earth to arise out of the earth. <laughs> Do you hear how these elements of these stories, they, they convey an interrelated kinship with other beings on this earth and the earth herself? this belonging to each other and interrelated to one another. This is a different way of perceiving that allows for a different way of being and acting in the world. And so important given how our systems and ourselves are, are engaged with the environment right now. And all it is, is it's stepping out of this perception of human beings being the main character in the show, the star of the show, into something different. Rather, being a living being amongst many other living beings. And you can find resonances of this different way of perceiving in, in, in Theravada Buddhism. There's one story that I want to share with you. And uh, it's, it's often connected with this practice of loving kindness. The Pali word is, is metta. And so once upon a time, there was a group of monastics and they ventured into a particular place in a forest and they found this such a wonderful place to practice. And they were going to be beginning a retreat, which is called the rains retreat or the rains retreat is a three month retreat that happens uh, every season, every year, every year for, for monastics in the Theravada tradition. And so they began to hang out there and meditate there. And in this forest where all the trees, there were uh, a whole group of uh, tree deities, these tree spirits living in the trees. And at first the tree spirits, you know, tree spirits really like, supposedly according to the story, they, they love practitioners, they love, they love uh, meditation, 
And so at first they're like, oh, this is great. The monastics have come and practiced and, and delighted to have them. But they were thinking that the monastics were only going to be there for like a day or two. And then two days turned to three days, three days to four, five, into weeks. And the tree spirits were not happy that they were still hanging out and they're part of the forest. And so the tree spirits got together and they're, they, they were like, what can we do about this? And they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try to do our best to terrify the monastics and to frighten them. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're good at this. They're spirits. So they would make all these, these scary noises and these ghoulish apparitions would appear, foul odors that would surprise the monastics. And boy, the, the monastics were having such a hard time. They couldn't sleep because they were afraid. They couldn't meditate. They were agitated. And they were like, you know what? We, we got to ask the Buddha what to do about this. Like, this is a problem. So they went to the Buddha. And the, the Buddha was very straightforward with them around what they should do. And that was to practice loving kindness, just to have this quality of loving kindness. So they went back to the forest. And this is what they did is just having this sense of, of doing these rituals and practices of sharing kindness, of, of emanating kindness towards the tree deities. And the deities were so touched by this, right? For, for these deities, they get nourished and supported when, uh, when there's this field of, of kindness. And as a result, the deities started to support the monastics in their practice while they were there. And at the end of the retreat, all of the monastics achieved full awakening, which is kind of the Buddhist version of they lived happily ever after. It's always kind of like at the end of each story, <laughs> they kind of put a good twist on it. So that's the Buddhist version of, of happily ever after, but it went well. I, I want to point out a few things about this, this story, though the importance of being in reciprocal relationship, of being a living being amongst many other living beings that have intrinsic value. They're not just for my use. It's about this sacred kinship with others. So caring for and being cared uh, 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 by others. This is a different way of perceiving. It's learning how to perceive other beings in a particular way, especially, I would say, in these modern times, being surrounded by systems that perceive living beings as commodities for human consumption. And what I notice is it begins to feel different of how I walk in the world when I can start to cultivate this quality of, of being a living being amongst other living beings, a sense of belonging to each other, a sense of interrelatedness in this particular way. So what I'd like to uh, do now is in just a few minutes, we're gonna be uh, taking some time to, I'll be intertwining this in a meditative practice so we can get it, start to get a feeling sense of what it is to, you could say, uh, undermine 
this rigid sense of uh, either a singular self or this rigid sense of human beings being at the center. And a lot of this, what I'm uh, trying to get a sense of is more the feel of it rather than the thought of it. So this is what's going to be important with these practices. I'm just going to have you feel experience differently. And we're allowing, going to be allowing our self-sense to become more porous. This is really what not-self is, is uh, one of the flavors around it, is it can feel like the thickness of being me at the center of the show starts to evaporate some. It's not like I disappear, but I perceive my, my place and, uh, and I get a feeling sense for myself in a really different way. Okay, so in light of this, what I want to invite you to do is um, let's just take two minutes, take two minutes to just simply move your body. You might want to stand up, move around, and then I'm going to begin to bring us into this guided meditation just in, in two minutes here. Okay. So we're going to begin again now. And so if you can hear the sound of my voice, I invite you to come back to a posture that feels supportive. So what we're looking for in the posture is just that it's supportive and yet relaxed. So once again, if you can hear the sound of my voice, we'll be beginning here. And then when you find a posture that feels supportive, what I invite you to do is to begin to allow the attention to come inward. And begin by simply feeling the body in whatever posture it's in. And I now invite you to allow for a quality of relaxation. So maybe relaxing the shoulders or other parts of the body that might be a little tense, like the hands, or maybe allowing the muscles in the face to relax. And the jaw to loosen. and allowing the pelvic floor to settle downward and open. I now invite you to continue to simply feel the entire body. So just this open general awareness of the feeling of the body. And in particular, I want to invite you to feel the weightedness 
of the body. The body has a certain heaviness, a weight to it, to feel that. And as you feel that, I want to point out that this experience of weightedness is not the weight of your body. Rather, when you feel the weight of the body right now, you're experiencing the inner interaction, the relationship between your body and the earth. Weightedness comes from the relationship that your body has to this earth. It wouldn't feel like this in space. And right now what I invite you to do is to see if you can simply feel weight as relationship rather than weight as me in terms of being a singular separate individual. Not to think this, but to feel interrelatedness. And right now, when you feel the weight of the body in this manner as relationship, this is, this is you experiencing something much vaster than just meanness. It's stepping out of that confining perception into something a bit broader. Linger with the feeling of weight in this way. Feeling weight as an indication of your relationship to the earth. Now, as you continue to feel the body, I'm going to bring in one other aspect of these bodies to switch things around a little bit. And it's this discovery that 
it's thought that really about 43% of the cells in your body are human cells. Of course, this varies here and there. And 56% of the cells in your body are the cells of bacteria. So I invite you to feel into the body in a way where it remains unclear where you begin and where you end. Rather, feeling the body as an indication, as a manifestation of a relationship with other beings. It's allowing this sense of meanness, allowing the sense of being the star of the show to become porous. Keeping this very simple, simply feeling the body and feeling the body as a manifestation of relationships. I now invite you to begin to sense into, to receive the feeling of the breathing. Again, in just a general way, feeling the in-breath, how it expands the body. And the out-breath, how the body just gently and subtly shrinks. You might notice right now that the feeling of the breath is smooth or wave-like. Simply feeling.
And as you continue to feel this activity of breathing, I invite you to open to get a feeling sense of the activity of breathing, being the sense of simply being a living being amongst other living beings that were intertwined. More than half of the oxygen you are breathing right now most likely comes from what are called marine photosynthesizers. So it's beings like certain types of plankton and seaweed. I breathe right now because of others. And right now I'm connected with them through this medium of air and through this activity of breathing. Right now I invite you to feel this activity of breathing as this living relationship that you have with the earth and with other beings on this earth. Simply feeling that. And when you allow yourself to feel breathing as this feeling of being in relationship with the earth and others, you might notice that this sense of meanness as being separate and individual becomes more porous, more translucent. And now for the second half of this meditation right now, I invite you just to keep it very simple, feeling the body, feeling it as relational with the earth, feeling the breath, how it's connected to other living beings right now and to the earth herself. 
And when the mind gets lost in thought, that's okay to notice that. And then return to this felt sense. We'll continue to explore this now for the second half. And when you find your mind lost in thought, simply begin again. And you might want to begin in this way. Just begin by simply feeling, oh, here I am meditating here with that feeling. And then begin to feel how the body and even the breath can be felt as this direct experience of being in relationship with others as interactions and interrelating, as a way of touching something much vaster than just meanness, just this small world of me.
At this point in our meditation together, we'll be transitioning to a guided meditation around one of the Brahma Viharas, namely this practice of loving kindness. So in light of that, if you just need to briefly stretch, feel free to do so or continue to meditate. We'll transition here and just really briefly. So once again, I invite you to allow your attention to come inward. Simply feeling the body, the body in whatever posture it's in. And also checking into what I'd call the heart center. So the heart, heart center is right, just right where your sternum is there, just to feel into that part of your experience there. Even like the felt sense of the heart center might feel calm and settled, might feel anxious or cautious, might feel tired, might feel hesitant, just however it feels, just to allow it to be that way, the heart center. Or maybe you feel none of that and just feel the breathing there. And as a way of beginning this guided, I invite you to bring into your heart, into your mind, some being who it's super easy for you to contact their goodness. So it could be like a pet cat or a pet dog. It might be a friend or a partner. It's like right when you bring them into your heart, it delights you in some way. You can touch their goodness. Maybe seeing a smile on their face or notice them, them wag their tail. And as you delight in their goodness, I invite you to have the sense with this other being that we are kin. Oh, I am, I am in kinship with you. I am related to you. We are beings together on this earth, and I wish you well. fully delighting in the goodness of this being and feeling your connection with them, your kinship, that you actually belong to each other.
I now invite you to allow another being just to arise in your mind. And again, what we're looking for is a being where it's super easy for you to feel their goodness. Please, please stay with the easy. Whether it's another human being or a creature in your household or outside your household. Maybe it's a crow you saw or a junco or a house finch or a coyote. To delight in their goodness, to feel the goodness of this being, to slow down with it. To allow it to delight your heart. And now to feel your kinship with them, that you're interrelated with them. And to wish them well in this feeling sense of kinship, of interrelatedness. Wishing them well from this place. And now another being where it's easy, your heart opens to this being. Delight in their goodness, feel your kinship with them, your interrelatedness, and wishing them well from this place. I now invite you to expand to other living beings, whether that be trees or grasses, even rocks and the earth in terms of soil or water. Just for a moment, step out of that confining modern perception of the world. <laughs> to behold them as living beings that you're in kinship with, that you're interrelated with, and to wish them well from that place.
I now invite you to bring into your heart maybe some particular living beings where it's a bit more difficult to have a sense of being related to them, that you're in kinship, that you belong to each other. So maybe it's those cockroaches or mosquitoes. The termites or ants that infiltrate your home. Or even those human beings that you find a lot more challenging than just a mosquito or a cockroach. Can you touch into your kinship with them, your interrelatedness with them? They too are part of this kinship of being on the earth together. And can you wish them well? Continuing in this way, noticing the beings that arise in your mind, feeling kinship, interrelatedness, wishing them well. <laughs> 